Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the influencer who reportedly held up a Jetstar flight because she was busy shucking oysters. Then an examination of Blake Lively's very confusing shoes, a discussion of that scene in the new Borat movie, and a deep dive on the most talked about Australian celebrity story of the week. Beck Judd's now infamous hashtag free. Melbourne t-shirt. But first, Zara Alice McDonald, how was your week? My week? Well, Michelle Elizabeth Andrews, I think you will not be surprised to hear that I was inundated last week with DMs about weevils. I have never, (laughs) ever caused more of a stir. Actually, that's a lie. I've caused lots of stirs (laughs) on this podcast. But... Oh my God, after I said last week that my one kilo thing of chicken salt didn't have a lid and someone had messaged me saying, be careful about weevils. And I came on here and thought that weevils were a joke. Like I thought that that was like a nickname that someone had given little bugs or something. Like wee little evils. (laughs) Anyway. I was inundated with messages and suddenly I've become like a pantry phobe. I'm so worried about everything in the pantry that we just keep pulling it out and like really tightening the flour, the sugar. I'm terrified. You know what you did? You exposed us. You unwittingly exposed us as city slickers, like city girls. I was so annoyed at us because on Monday when the episode went live, basically every listener who hasn't been born and bred in the inner towns of Melbourne was like, how the fuck have you girls never heard of weevils? Every rural listener, every listener in a northern state was outraged at the fact we have no idea what weevils are. Okay, firstly, I don't think I exposed us as city slickers. I think we exposed us as city slickers a very, (laughs) very, very long time ago with half the shit we say on this podcast. So I don't think I was the issue. But I will say, you know, public service announcement, watch out for weevils. The second thing (laughs) I will say about my week is I feel terrible. I 
I cheated on little Ben from MasterChef and got absolutely hooked don't. on Celebrity SAS. And I don't even know if I love it or hate it. What does SAS stand for? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Every time it comes on my television, like I was watching the footy final, obviously, on Saturday night. And every ad break, they had ads for SAS. I'm like, what does SAS fucking stand for? Someone please tell me. Special Air Service is a what? special forces unit of the British Army. There okay. you go. Why is it called that? Why? Well, anyway, they just do really hard challenges. <laughs> really hard challenges. It's almost like they're going into combat and it's all these celebrities. And it's quite a bizarre show. I actually don't know if I love it or hate it. I find it so incredibly stressful. You would hate it because you would get just as stressed as I do because they are put under Why? such intense pressure. Well, they're like yelled at Why? in their ears and I love us, <laughs> but we are city slickers born and bred. We would not be able to hack a second of that show. I have no shame in admitting it. I am slightly ashamed in being a city slicker because I feel like city people, just generally speaking, are far more basic bitch than like your rural Australians. I feel like rural Australians grow up tough. They grow up with personality. They grow up with like grit and determination. And then everyone born in the city is just a bit like a soft, like watery, diluted version of what our rural Australians are. Yeah, well, in one side of my whole extended family, we were one of two families that grew up in the city. Everyone else grew up in the country. And I had this very (laughs) unique sense of shame about how soft I was in comparison. Like they didn't even (laughs) grow up on farms. They just grew up in country towns. And I think it's a much better way to be raised. This is such a tangent anyway. I do have a recommendation though for you, if you'll allow me. Please. So... On the theme of what I've been recommending recently, I watched a film the other day on Stan called Brexit, The Uncivil War. I think it's new to Stan, but the film itself is not new at all. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch, and it is all about the Leave campaign that was spearheaded by Dominic Cummins just before Brexit. Now, I know Mm. that there is a lot of political dramas I'm recommending at the moment, and I don't think it's surprising timing given the US election is in Gosh, less nearly two weeks, isn't it? Third of November, I think. It's a fucking week away. God, it's a week. It's so soon. It is a week away. Literally, God save us all. I mean, anyway, I found it very interesting because the tactics that seem to be at play in the 2016 US election don't seem dissimilar to the tactics at play at Brexit. And making the connection between these things is quite scary, but also really important, I think, for all of us to recognize and be able to acknowledge. So I recommend watching that film and then listening to an episode of The Daily called A Misinformation Test for Social Media, which speaks about how all the big social platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are trying to combat misinformation in the lead up to the next election, because all of this stuff is so, so linked. A big welcome back to the daily. I know. Welcome back to Shameless. So happy to have, I love that you tried to Trojan horse us with a daily recommendation. You just wrapped it in a Brexit documentary. I need to do a TikTok on the daily theme, because you know how that was a, th- like, that was a thing a couple of months ago? I need to do my own dance to the daily theme song. <laughs> Can you imagine? Actually, I'd love for you to like recreate it, like get some pots and pans and like add in your own Instagram <laughs> to the Daily Theme song. If you give me some time off this week, perhaps I will. How was your week? My week was brilliant because oh, Richmond, yes. my oh, yes. AFL team, won their third premiership in four years. Now, OG listeners of the podcast are probably a bit surprised. I am renowned for speaking a lot about Richmond on this podcast. I get very excited when we're doing well, which for the entirety of the podcast since 2018 has been the case, thankfully. Yet this year, I really haven't discussed them 
at all, haven't mentioned them getting into the grand final, really haven't done anything on the podcast. And I think that's because the entire season just felt a bit fake. Like I haven't gone to a single game this year. It's all been played interstate. The games have been like all week round. It's been a bizarre time. So it's kind of felt like a preseason fake match in some respects but now that we've won the grand final totally happy to like legitimize the whole season and take the crown (laughs) no if it's an asterisk season it's an asterisk premiership no I think it's even better because our team how many people are going to switch off the podcast while I talk about footy like our team played away from home a hundred days in a row they fucking killed it everyone always says that we only won because we were playing at the MCG which is our home ground we fucking went to the Gabba and we won over there so no one can come to me and tell me that Richmond isn't the best team in the competition but after a hundred days up there the Gabba basically is your home ground and then you're just winning on the same turfy voice why didn't I don't know how this became a sports podcast I accidentally came back with a counter argument (laughs) I also loved that you watched it and you were sending me like your insights and your feelings on the game as it was happening and by that I mean you, you sent me two text messages in the first quarter and I didn't hear from you again until like the last minute (laughs) yeah because I'm a bit of a (laughs) I'm actually not ashamed to say I'm a huge bandwagoner of grand finals just general Mm. grand finals like I get quite fired up and quite passionate in the last game of the season and really do enjoy it but the rest of the season I could take a leave I love it I do have a recommendation for the week Zara I want everyone to go watch the new Borat film on Amazon we're going to talk about it in the quick and dirty I think it's called Borat subsequent movie film or something along those lines it's on Amazon it is such a good mockumentary and I love that Sasha Baron Cohen decided to put this out before the US election I think his timing is impeccable I think his comedy is absolutely unrivaled again and yeah really enjoyed it have you seen it I was trying to stay very very quiet here because I've actually never seen a Sasha Baron Cohen film (gasps) I know I know I know I couldn't be bothered admitting again that I haven't seen something because I know there we go I'll cause a stir but I haven't I'm sorry what the fuck what why don't you want to see these things you feel FOMO like you are very much a FOMO kind of gal why don't you feel FOMO about watching things that everyone is watching I don't know don't psychoanalyze me I don't know I think I just spend too much time on my phone and I don't know aren't you curious <laughs> like aren't you curious what everyone's talking about I just don't think he's my vibe so you hear all the you hear all the Borat jokes that have been going on since what yeah. 2006 and you just let them fly over your head you don't know sometimes I say them <laughs> <laughs> bandwagon oh my god I shouldn't say this about bandwagons because I, t- I took aim at David Attenborough a bandwagoner some time ago yeah I haven't seen it but I might do I have to see the other Borat movies to watch this one no, I don't think you do at all. I mean, a lot of the comedy is quite similar. I think what I loved about the second Borat film was its analysis on American culture, particularly American politics right now. We are going to get into it later in the show, but that is a definite recommendation. Like, I'll be shocked if you haven't at least had the urge to watch it over the coming week because it's only been out for a couple of days and I'm seeing it everywhere, all over Twitter, all over social media. So please do watch it. I think you genuinely would enjoy it. Noted. Hey, what is on the hotline today? The first hotline message for this week, Zara, we had Frederic call to weigh in on our segment last week on Emily in Paris. Hi, I really love your show. Thank you, guys. You really do a good job. So my name is Freddie Frederick from Sydney. And as you can guess by my accent, I'm a little bit French. been living here for almost 20 years. And before that, I lived 10 years in Paris. I watched Emily in Paris, and I think it's a total bullshit show ever. And it's really pissing off a lot of French people, I can tell you. 
Michelle, I'm a bit shook about how many French listeners we had. A huge shout out to every French person that called our hotline this week because we had so many, so many French people. So welcome to all the French people. I didn't realize we were so cultured. But (laughs) this seems to be a very popular sentiment among many of the Hotmail messages that we received. Yeah, absolutely, Zara. One tangent I do want to go on quickly before we get there is listening to all these French people dial into the hotline and listening to their voicemails and listening to their accents made me incredibly self conscious of my own bogan melbournian accent is that fair yes i think definitely fair <laughs> definitely fair we sound so gross compared to every other nationality anyway i do want to apologize to all our french listeners the consensus was pretty clear that the cliches and the stereotypes in Emily in Paris were pretty grating for our French listenership. So I'm sorry that I enjoyed it so much. I'm hearing you loud and clear. It's not at all what Paris is like, Zara. Although I want to have a quick shout out though to Frederic because her accent seems remarkably intact after 20 years in Sydney. <laughs> sounds beautifully French, but yes, the French people weren't happy and you're still probably going to watch the series for a third time. I will. Someone who did sound a little happier than Frederic was Christian. Hello there. My name is Christian and I live in London, but I just wanted to say I think the two of you are absolutely excellent. According to my girlfriend, I'm part of the 2.7 club, I believe. She obviously started playing these podcasts. I always thought, what, what are these two girls on about, and I always thought it was very sort of gossip column, you know, cosmopolitan type stuff, and obviously over the course of the months of us living together, I've listened in more, and I found myself actually prompting my girlfriend, Claire, being like, listen, what are the girls up to? I'm really curious to know, I, and I just wanted to compliment the two of you and say, I absolutely love your your channel. I see it as, you know, a daily news update or whenever, you know, Claire has it on, I'll, I'll find myself sitting down, settling in, and listening in, so... Thanks a lot. You guys are absolutely fantastic. And I definitely encourage more men to listen in because it's been educational. So please keep it up. Thanks a lot. (laughs) What a European vibe for today's show. (laughs) I know. I know. Hot accent vibe, more like it. I kind of want a segment breaker to be made into um, his line, what are these girls on about? I also love that we slowly broke him down. Like he thought we were gossip columnists and over the months he slowly started listening. We probably need some kind of like affiliate program for the women of Shameless who get their boyfriends onto the show or their partners. Thank you very much. My one request, Claire and Christian, listen on separate phones. That way we get double the downloads. If you're listening on the one (laughs) phone, we get one download and we can't take that anywhere. So double our downloads, that would be great. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Great idea. Double our downloads. (laughs) The 2.7% listen separately and then we get 2.7% extra downloads. It's science. (laughs) Quick maths, if you will. Mish, let's get into our first segment for the show, though, because this is one of my favourite stories of the week, maybe the month. Maybe the year, maybe my lifetime. It's called Oystergate Zara and the woman at the heart of Oystergate is Ruby Tuesday Matthews. Now, if you don't recognize that name, don't worry. I wasn't familiar with Ruby before this week either. She is a Byron Bay influencer. Her Instagram bio reads, single mama to rocket and Mars. What unique baby names, by the way. I would say she is a fashion influencer. She's a model. She has more than 200,000 followers on the platform. And this week, Zara, she landed herself in 
in hot water because she delayed a Jetstar flight. Well, my first introduction to this story was an absolutely glorious pedestrian headline which said this Byron Bay influencer was heckled on a plane after her oyster dinner caused a 30-minute delay. (laughs) I mean, of course we're going to unpack it further, but that is essentially the story in a headline. So you're right, Mitch, Ruby Tuesday Matthews is a Byron Bay influencer and mum and model, and essentially she was getting on a flight from Byron Bay to Sydney, I think, and when everybody got onto the plane, it was announced that the plane was being held back because they were waiting for an engineer to fly in to fix a very minor issue from the plane. They were all told, apparently, every passenger, that they were to stay in the airport as the plane was being fixed. Ruby says she didn't hear this over the announcements and (laughs) proceeded to go out for dinner and eat some oysters and post about it on her Instagram story. She posted a photo of oysters on her Instagram with the very snappy, straight-to-the-point caption, which was, flight delayed, (laughs) fuck my life. (laughs) Small segue, if you'll allow me. Yes. The idea of eating an oyster strikes terror into my heart. Like oysters remind me of snot and I think anyone who eats oysters has something to answer for. Like what is the redeeming feature? What is the redeeming feature of an oyster? Status. Status. (laughs) 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 Proving to people that you can eat an oyster. Also a second segue. Should we tell Mm. the listeners very quickly about the segue fact that's my favourite? Oh, the segue fact. The segue fact is that segue is not spelt S-E-G-W-A-Y. It's S-E-G-U-E. And every single person I've ever asked about that doesn't know apart from Michelle Andrews. Except for me because I'm the queen of spelling. I will add to that though. Segway is spelt S-E-G-W-A-Y if you're talking about the motorised (laughs) walkie thingy-ma-bobs. It's just not spelt that way when you're talking about like tangent moving from one thing to another. So all very meta because this was a very long segui talking about seguis. So please <laughs> take me back to the oysters. <laughs> so she was eating oysters when unfortunately for Ruby Tuesday Matthews, Jetstar put out an announcement that their gun engineer was going to take two hours but got the job done in an hour. An additional segue on top of this is I hate when airlines say we just need an extra hour because there's a problem with the plane. I'm like, can we please get a new plane? Like, can <laughs> problem really be fixed in an hour do I want to be 10,000 feet in the air on a broken plane probably not good job to the Jetstar engineer he figured it out everyone boarded the plane except for Ruby Tuesday Matthews and her friend and I think a couple of others who broke the rules went outside of the airport didn't get the message and rocked up on time for the original delayed flight so they rocked up I think it was like an extra half hour or something after these people had boarded the plane and were ready to head the fuck to Sydney. Yes. So you can imagine after she's posted about eating oysters on her Instagram, when she boarded or reboarded the flight, the other passengers on board weren't stoked. They did not a very nice thing, actually, to be totally frank with you, Michelle. They abused her, which we would never, ever condone. They yelled at her, how are your oysters? She did reply saying they were good. So it seems like quite hefty abuse over some oysters, quite a dramatic scenario over a couple of oysters, but it's only gotten better days after. It has indeed, Zara. So now we have Oystergate. We don't only have Ruby Tuesday Matthews heading to another oyster restaurant the night after this flight debacle to shuck more oysters (laughs) while paparazzi just happened to be waiting by with their long lens cameras and she looked immaculate and was very happy and very bubbly at this dinner table. But also we have the likes of Roxy Jusenko and other socialites eating oysters and posting their oysters on social media 
in a display of solidarity. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a classic put out your oysters scenario. So I think my favorite thing has been going through Ruby's Instagram stories in the last couple of days because she did go to Otto Restaurant in Sydney the night after the flight, had some oysters, uploaded them to her Instagram story saying Oystergate. The next day she went out for dinner again, had some oysters, took a photo, put them on her Instagram story, hashtagged Oystergate. I think one of the best parts of the week was this headline from the Daily Mail when the Daily Mail did pap her at Otto the night after the plane eating oysters and the headline was the the world is her oyster. Foreign Bay model heads for more seafood after holding up a Jetstar flight to Sydney so she could pop to a fancy restaurant and explains why she felt she had to leave the airport. I mean it's just all so ridiculous. I have such respect for how she is just taking this story and making it her own and kind of poking fun at the whole thing. I love it so much. Another line in that story that I did really appreciate Zara was this one. Oysters at Otto's restaurant cost $9 each, meaning Miss Matthews would have paid $99 for 11 oysters. I love that a journalist went and looked up the menu. I love the level of detail. But most of all, Ruby Tuesday Matthews, I love that you held up a flight for half an hour to go eat oysters. And that you and won't it. stop eating oysters. The oysters aren't stopping. Don't stop. Don't stop. Eat that snot all you like. Oh, yeah. Coming up after the break, Beck Judd's most controversial Instagram story ever. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Mish, what have you got for me today? My first story is admittedly a little crusty, as in it's a tiny bit old, but I don't know how you and I both missed Wait, this. Is it is it greater than seven days old? I think it's eight days old, <gasps> which is a, it's breaking a cardinal quick and dirty rule, but I can't believe we missed this last week. So this one time, Zara McDonald, please let me bend our own rules. This crusty old story better be good. My first story, 10 pulls the plug on Bachelor in Paradise. That is from B&T Magazine. This was from Channel 10 or Network 10's Upfronts, which for those not in the industry is basically when a media company goes out to all its advertising partners and says, this is what we've got coming up in the next year. So Channel 10 said, we love all the excitement, drama, and of course love that Bachelor in Paradise brings, but have decided to rest it in 2021. This news of course comes after the Bachelorette premiere was the franchise's lowest in its history. Those ratings have not increased or improved over the last few weeks. And clearly The Bachelor all of a sudden is a flailing franchise. It's really interesting, Mish, because we spend all day, every day, checking the news cycle, looking at the Daily Mail, News.com, The Age, all of the Australian publications to be keeping our eye on news for the podcast. And I have never seen less stories about The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, particularly across the Daily Mail. Like there wasn't any, Mm. I don't think, this morning, Sunday morning, about The Bachelorette. Like there was just nothing out there, which makes me think that it has been falling perhaps as flat as we have hypothesized since the start of the season. I wonder when it comes to Bachelor in Paradise, if this is actually a really smart move for them, because cancelling this or resting Bachelor in Paradise could strengthen The Bachelor and The Bachelorette if it means that people aren't going onto the show with the aim of eventually 
actually getting onto Bachelor in Paradise. Like I think for a lot of people who enter these shows, there is a big influencer career that they are interested in at the end. Mm. And that is often dependent (laughs) on being on Bachelor in Paradise too. I agree. Well, think of the mathematics, right? Like on Bachelor in Paradise, you probably have a total of 15 to 20 people going through each season. They've already done a few seasons of Bachelor in Paradise. They're almost entirely relying on the latest talent pool of Bachelor and Bachelorette contestants. You end up basically sorry to be harsh, but I'm about to be, getting a whole bunch of contestants who were eliminated in the first week that no one really knows anyway and no one has any emotional attachment to. That said, I will say the latest season of Bachelor in Paradise with Alicia and Glenn and Renee and some of our favourites was pretty good. But I think in general, the Bachelor franchise needs to look at what they're doing and change quickly. I think 2021 could be a life or death situation for The Bachelor. (laughs) I mean, I kind of agree. Also, given how low the ratings for Lockie Gilbert season was and are at the moment for Ellie and Becky season, if you're then pulling on that talent pool to go on Bachelor in Paradise, you're right. There's not a huge draw card there for, you know, viewers. So probably not a surprising move, but I do agree with you. I think it's really, what did you say? Life or death next year for The Bachelor. (laughs) How's the theatrics? My second story, SAS Australia star Roxy Jasenko reveals Candace Warner feud. That is from the Huffington Post. It was a story brought to us by Zara McDonald. Why do we care? Oh, we care. Annabelle, give me those like journey sound effects. I don't even What's know a journey you know sound effect? <laughs> oh, you mean like a flashback sound effect? Kind of, yeah. Do you remember during the cricket, the Australian cricket team's ball tampering saga and David mm. Warner, who's vice captain of the cricket team, also bear with me while I've got you here, who was vice captain of the cricket team, had to give a press conference because they all had to give separate press conferences. Candace Warner, his wife, was in the audience of the press conference and very famously mm-hmm. turned up with Roxy Jasenko with Roxy Jasenko's arm around Candace Warner. So our image of those two is in that press conference, I think, that they were very good friends, that Roxy was there for Candace in her lowest moments. They both appear on the Australian season of SAS Australia and in like the first episode they are they are picked to box each other like actually physically what? fight each other there was like this very intense scene where they were picked to fight another member of the squad or whatever you want to call it and Candace and Roxy were obviously picked against each other because you know production brilliance Ratings. and Candace hit Roxy but Roxy didn't fight back <gasps> Roxy refused to hit Candace and then their their friendship fell apart Candace is no longer represented by Roxy's agency <gasps> and Roxy has been giving quotes to Kyle and Jackie O saying is she really my friend anymore no she went on to say you know why I never hit back you're my mate and I'm not going to smack you in the face for other people's entertainment Wait, wait, wait. Did Candace smack Roxy in the face? Or when we're saying boxing match, did she just go for like the armpit or something? No, they all smacked each other everywhere. It was like quite <gasps> hectic. This is why it's a stressful in the face. to watch. Yes. They all smacked what? each other everywhere. It was very intense. No wonder why you fucking love this show. Me? No, I don't yeah. like violence. I'm getting stressed watching it. <laughs> what a weird way to end a friendship that you go into a boxing match, one of you punched the other in the face and now you don't talk anymore. I did read in one story that Candace severed ties with Roxy via a WhatsApp message, which I feel like is pretty salty, but good on them. Good on them. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're winners here at the SAS Australia producers, I think. Amen. My third story is Sasha Baron Cohen was quite concerned during that Giuliani scene. That is from The Cut. 
This, Zara, is of course referring to the movie that I recommend everyone watch right now. It is Borat, subsequent movie film. It was released on Amazon on October 23. I know you haven't watched it, but surely you have seen commentary around about this scene. Oh yeah, I've definitely watched the scene as well. Like I've seen it everywhere. Good to hear. So in case you missed it, in this particular scene that has made headlines around the world, actress Maria Bakalova plays Borat's daughter in this mockumentary, Tuta, who is offered as a bride to Vice President Mike Pence. She plays a 15-year-old, by the way. In this particular scene, though, she's posing as a young TV journalist for a conservative news show, and she interviews the White House attorney, or Donald Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. When the interview is over, she asks Giuliani into her hotel room, and what unravels from there is a really cringeworthy, difficult to watch slightly sexual encounter where it appears that Giuliani puts his hand down his pants. The actual, I guess, debate is what he was doing with his hands down his pants. If you ask really Giuliani, he said he did nothing wrong. He was just tucking in his shirt. If you ask Sasha Baron Cohen or indeed the actress Maria Bakalova, they both say that he was touching himself in front of her. Of course, while this was being filmed, Sasha Baron Cohen did interrupt the scene. He did come in dressed as Borat and said, she's 15, she's too old for you, to Rudy Giuliani. And from there, it's kind of all unfurled on social media and lots of people think this will be the end of Giuliani's career. I mean, I feel like there are a few things that should have been the end of Giuliani's career before this, but I'm not upset that this has finally come to light. I did see that Donald Trump tweeted that Rudy Giuliani was completely innocent in this scenario and that Trump himself has found himself in many a situation of being in a hotel room with a woman and tucking in his shirt, which (laughs) I'm not entirely surprised by. I would love to now actually see this scene in the context of the whole movie, but it is a really interesting thing to drop a week before the election. I have to think with every story like this, how much of an impact it has on voters or trust or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's also an interesting decision of Sasha Baron Cohen to put an actress in that scenario. Of course, Maria did consent to that, but there are slightly blurred lines. There's been some commentary online about whether or not it's even appropriate to kind of manufacture that scenario that might put a young woman in quite a triggering situation. Baron Cohen was asked about this numerous times, and in one interview, he did say, it's my responsibility as a producer as well to ensure that the lead actor is looked after. So he did interrupt as soon as possible. They were waiting in a nearby hideaway room and he was getting text updates with what was happening. So the actress Maria Bakalova said she always felt safe. She always trusted Baron Cohen. But of course, that is up for debate as well. My fourth story, Man Repeller is reportedly closing for good. That is from Grazia. Not entirely surprising news coming out of the New York media scene, though it's always strange to see a publication that has been so popular over the years, closed down for good. For those who have missed it, Man Rapala was the brainchild of fashion blogger Leandra Medine. She created it 10 years ago. They got into a lot of hot water earlier this year when a lot of commentary and criticism emerged online that the team lacked inclusion, that during the pandemic they laid off a few POC staff members. So what they did in order to combat the criticism and the public commentary is At the very start of September, Mish, they completely rebranded entirely. They rebranded the name to Repeller, so dropped the man in Man Repeller. They rebranded the entire website. They promised new, fresh, inclusive content. And by, you know, mid to end of October, it was announced that the website was closing entirely. Yeah, really 
interesting, I think. It says a lot to me about potentially cancel culture and how Leandra Medine Cohen was potentially behaving towards her employees. I mean, one thing that I find not unforgivable, that's a bit hyperbolic, but one thing that really doesn't make sense to me is why Man Repeller, which I think it'll always be known as Man Repeller. I know its name for the final month was Repeller, but I'll just refer to it as Man Repeller because that's how I knew it for years. I don't understand why they haven't addressed this on any of their own social channels. Like they are closing down a company that played a role in young women's lives and young men's lives for so many years. Why have they not told their own audience that they're closing? They've only announced it in like PR releases and kind of whispers on other news channels. I just, I find that to be such a dodgy PR mistake to close down a company, particularly a company that speaks to women and communicates with women and thrives off women's eyeballs every day and not give that audience an explanation, not give them an answer, not give them the information that I think certainly that they deserve. Well, I think this speaks a lot to what is probably a huge disconnect between the people that are making these decisions really high up, Leandra Medine and the editorial team. I think it really, it probably hints to how blindsided the editorial team might have been and how they haven't prepped anything. They don't think it's their role then to update the website, that it wasn't a collaborative decision, that it was very much one made higher up that did blindside their staff. And that's probably why no one thinks it's their job to upload a statement on the website. But I agree with you. It's so odd looking at the social channels and just not seeing anything about it. And then seeing all the readers and commenters saying, what the fuck's going on? Is it true that you're closing? I'm, I'm just baffled by it, won't lie. My fifth and final story for today's Quick and Dirty. Bizarre detail noticed on Blake Lively's feet after her and husband Ryan Reynolds post similar Instagram images. That is from Seven News. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this story and it was a, an image of Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively having just voted and people were like, are Blake Lively's shoes photoshopped? I kind of zoomed in and was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and just moved on because I hadn't seen the original image. When I called you about this to be like, what the fuck is going on with Blake Lively's feet? You're like, what? They look normal to me. And I was like, how do these possibly not look photoshopped to you? Like, it's almost like it was done on 2000 paint or whatever it's called, like 1998 paint on Microsoft. Like, I can't believe that you looked at this and went, yeah, they look legit. So for the people who missed this, this is a story that came about because Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively both posted the exact same image on their channel with one detail and that was the shoes. On Ryan Reynolds' page, she was just on her tippy toes barefoot and yet on her page, she's wearing strappy brown heels with a red backing and she's tagged at Louboutin World. So she's gone to the effort to draw on her shoes and then has tagged Louboutin. So I'm guessing she's joking, but it wasn't like the the Photoshop job was so bad that it's immediately apparent. You can only see it when you really zoom in and look hard. Okay, so you do acknowledge that it's not the craziest thing in the world, but <laughs> I didn't recognise it. Once I see the original image compared to the one that she's Photoshopped, it clearly is obvious that it's a bad paint job. But it's the kind of joke where I feel like I'm missing a step. Same. The step being, what is the joke? <laughs> And why? Like, why? Like, there's nothing wrong with you just being on your tippy toes or crop out your feet altogether. What makes her brain go, I'm going to spend an hour meticulously drawing brown straps over my toes? Part of me wonders if they knew this was going to happen and so it's drawn attention to their voting early post. Or part of me wonders, did she really just think she could get away with it? I love Blake and Ryan. Don't get me wrong. Absolute fan of theirs. Is that us giving them far too much credit? Is this just someone who thought, 
I don't like my bare feet being on display, which I understand, Zara, you don't like your bare feet ever being on display either. But I, I just want to know the steps. And, like, did she do it or did she get, like, an assistant or, like, a social media manager to do it? Like, what what happened behind the scenes? We need an explanation. The people deserve one. I must be honest. My care factor has considerably decreased the more we've spoken about <laughs> this. I'm start- my eyes are starting to glaze over a little bit. I don't actually give a, a fuck. It's a great endorsement for your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's all for today's Quick and Dirty. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, next bitch. Another day, another celebrity coronavirus controversy. This time it was Beck Judd, who is no stranger to making headlines about her opinions on Melbourne's lockdown. Last week, Judd posted what appeared to be a fairly innocuous video spraying dry shampoo into her hair at home in her bathroom. But it was what she was wearing that caught the attention of the internet. A white t-shirt with the text Free Melbourne brandished across her chest. It didn't take long for Judd's name to start trending on Twitter and not for the first time during the pandemic. So, Mish, let's unpack why Beck Judd caused such a stir with a white shirt. Do you want to start with some background? Yeah, some background for our international listeners, particularly Christian and his girlfriend, Claire. If you're not familiar with who Beck Judd is, she is a 37-year-old businesswoman, entrepreneur, I would say she's a style icon. She was kind of rocketed into stardom locally when she wore a very famous red dress to the AFL Brownlow, probably almost, what, 15 to 20 years ago, Zara. She is an influencer and now she's apparently an anti-lockdown protester, I might say. She is definitely one of Australia's most recognisable celebrities and socialites. She has more than 842,000 Instagram followers. And particularly over the last six months, she has become increasingly political online and her political leanings seem to be conservative. Yeah, I mean, that's about as much as we can glean from a few Instagram stories. But I do think that what we post online, in particular on Instagram at the moment, in this really heightened political time, does tell a story about what you believe and where you stand. So what happened was, she, as I said in the intro, her name started trending on Twitter after she was posting some sponsored content for the dry shampoo company Chlorine, of which she is an ambassador, while wearing a free Melbourne t-shirt. Now, you might be listening to this now and thinking, okay, well, what's the problem? And there are a few, but I think what we need to do to start is acknowledge what isn't a problem, Mish. I mean, I think one thing I want to say from the start, and I think one thing that you want to make really clear too, is I cannot possibly imagine how hard these last few months have been for small business owners and for workers who haven't been able to open up or make an income. I think the pandemic has absolutely ravaged, and that is to say the least, so many businesses and so many people's finances. And as someone who has been able to work from home and make a living from home, I can't fathom the stress that that creates. I think if someone genuinely affected by the extremities of this lockdown wants to wear a t-shirt like this, I will not stop them. I think for you and I, the irony to start about this story is that Beck is posting about this while literally making money. She is not locked in her house, unable to make money or pull an income. She is doing sponsored content while arguing the city is locked in some kind of prison. Yeah, exactly right. And as you said, like, we are not here judging anyone who wants to buy this T-shirt or feels furious right now. We are in a position of privilege and as a podcast that always wants to check our privilege, 
we have wealth privilege right now where we are able to work and earn an income. So if you are without savings and you're really struggling, our absolute heart goes out to you. I have friends in that position and it is just heart shattering to think what some people are going through right now, particularly when it comes to the economy and their personal finances. So we hope you're all okay. And if you are angry, you have every right to feel angry right now. Does Beck Judd have the right to become the face of the free Melbourne movement though? I'm certainly not very sure. I do want to hone in on the t-shirt in question, Zara, before we flesh it out more. If you have not seen the t-shirt around, it's really a basic one. It's a white t-shirt with black lettering, free Melbourne across it. It's being sold for $40 online by what initially appears to be a pretty anonymous account or an anonymous website. Clem Ford actually did some digging and found that it is linked to Rachel Holland and Nick Holland. Nick Holland used to play AFL for the Hawks. His wife, Rachel, seems to be involved with at least pushing this t-shirt. She's also connected to high-profile socialites like Beck Judd. So it seems like that couple is potentially behind this campaign. On the website, it does say that 100% of profits from this T-shirt will be donated to Beyond Blue. So they're absolutely trying to position this T-shirt as something to support a mental health charity. Their movement is all about, I don't know, tackling depression, tackling the mental illnesses that may have arisen whilst in lockdown. One issue I do have before we move on from this, though, is I really don't like when people or companies are ambiguous with supporting charities. So I love, if they're supporting 100% of profits to Beyond Blue, that's great. But what is the breakdown? Like percentage of profits might imply that someone is taking a salary. It might imply that people are being financially compensated to work for the company. Like are the people behind this profiting off this t-shirt? It's not 100% of proceeds. And I think that's an important distinction to make right off the bat. And then on top of that, if you're gonna say 100% of profits, Break that down for us. What is the dollar amount per t-shirt? For example, Zara, with our last charity merch drop, we were very clear that our profits from that would have been $10 per jumper. So we were donating $10 per item to a chosen charity. And then we gave updates along the way as to exactly how much money was raised from those sales. I think if you're going to sell a t-shirt like this and say 100% of profits, the onus is on you to be really fucking clear as to what those profits are. You can figure that out. There is nothing stopping if it is Rachel Holland and Nick Holland from figuring out the exact dollar per t-shirt that they will be putting into Beyond Blue's pocket. I think not being clear and transparent with that amount leaves room. It leaves room for things to be manipulated. It leaves ambiguity. It leaves question marks. And I'm just not a fan of that. I think if you're going to support a charity, be really clear with how you're supporting it and how many dollars you're putting towards that charity. Yeah. I mean, a quick segui on this note as well. I mean, I've seen other <laughs> high profile influence. Sorry. It's, it's a funny word to use in a serious context. Like this, it's so stupid. Um, I have seen other high profile influencers selling things like face masks and promising a percentage of profits going to Beyond Blue as well and not actually promising or acknowledging what that percentage actually is. And you are getting sales on the basis of people hoping that their purchase does good. I think you're right. It leaves too much room to ask questions and too much room for it to be manipulated. I think it's also a really important point too, I think, Mish, to note that a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation on these very mics about surge capacity, the idea that privilege doesn't insulate you from experiencing some form of hardship or difficulty or a struggle with your mental health in a time when the whole world is really battling. And Clem Ford, as we said, did some really good work on her Instagram stories. It's saved in a highlight on her Instagram page about 
influencers in Melbourne during this time. And she did write on her stories, money and privilege don't inoculate anyone against poor mental health. And I'm not diminishing that in her or anyone her, she's obviously referring to Beck Judd, but we're all suffering to some degree in that respect. Despite that, most of us recognize that it is what is or was necessary to prevent the kind of numbers being seen in Europe right now. And I think that's a really important point here that what we're seeing across the board, particularly in a conversation like this, and particularly in the scenario of influencers and socialites wearing these free Melbourne t-shirts, is that they're not encouraging very nuanced conversation that the scenario requires. There seems to be very little self-awareness about how their role in this lockdown or their scenario in this lockdown is very different to the average person. Yeah, look, I have no problem with Beck Judd being anti-lockdown as long as her messaging is consistent. Well, there you I go. have an issue with Beck Judd becoming the face of the free Melbourne movement because her messaging has consistently not added up. And I think the prime example of this is actually in late June, Beck Judd put out an Instagram story that read, as a Victorian, I would like to see Melbourne hotspot suburbs put into lockdown as well. Not sure what at Daniel Andrews MP is waiting for. Hundreds more cases, the whole of Victoria to become reinfected, short-term pain, long-term gain. These suburbs, the hotspot suburbs that Beck was referring to in that Instagram story were largely migrant populated, poorer suburbs in the state of Victoria that were struggling a lot with coronavirus cases. And I find it really interesting that Beck was all for harsh lockdowns on particular suburbs that were far away from her rich, heavily white home in Brighton. And yet when she's in lockdown, she suddenly backflips and is leading the charge for getting out of lockdown. I just find that to be very, very intriguing. I mean, it was only eight weeks after making these comments on hotspot suburbs and how badly Daniel Andrews needed to lock them down and short-term pain, long-term gain. Eight weeks later, Beck Judd was calling Daniel Andrews dictator Dan because he locked the entire state down. I think it's really, really important here to make note of what the demographics of those specific hotspot suburbs were back in June. So according to The Conversation and Professor Rebecca Bentley and research fellow Erica Martino, the 10 suburbs that were kind of noted as hotspot suburbs or outbreak hotspots were Broadmeadows, Keelor Downs, Maidstone, Auburnvale, Sunshine West, Hallam, Brunswick West, Faulkner, Reservoir and Pakenham. In their article for The Conversation, they noted the hot Hotspots have some of the highest rates of housing precarity and financial hardship across Melbourne. People in overcrowded or unaffordable or insecure housing may have less control over their immediate environment and less capacity to isolate themselves than other community members. They also noted that the hotspot suburbs were largely occurring in areas with high housing affordability stress, meaning those in the lowest 40% of income spend more than 30% of their household income on housing, overcrowding, which is measured in terms of the number of people in a household and or homelessness. So we're talking about an argument or what was an argument back in June for locking down people in some of the most precarious living situations in the state. Mm. And if Beck had been an ally to marginalised poor Victorians from the get-go, then I'd have no issue with her wearing this T-shirt. But what troubles me is that she seems to be pro-lockdown on poor people, anti-lockdown on rich people. 
And if I'm wrong and Beck Judd happens to be listening to this episode of Shameless and that's not the case and she's listening to this going, no, I've just changed my mind. I've educated myself over the last few months. I've decided that I've always been anti-lockdown. I've always been live with the virus and this is my mantra on coping with coronavirus. Then I would say to her, the onus is on you to correct the record. The onus is on you to own up to your prejudice in your previous quotes about poor suburbs. The onus is on you to retract those statements and to be more self-aware. If you're going to change your mind and come out and say, well, now I'm anti-lockdown. Now we're living in a prison. Dictator Dan has locked us up in our homes. Then be self-aware about that. Come out and say, I really regret what I said about poor Victorians and hotspot suburbs back in late June. I regret it. I wish I didn't say it. I've changed my mind. Not doing that, though, gives us the impression that Beck wants one standard for her and the people who look like her and live like her. And the common person, the working class person, if we know anything, coronavirus again and again has disadvantaged working class people at the expense of rich people. Yeah, it's it's really made clear the divide between rich and poor. There is absolutely no denying that. And I think the other thing that I found quite frustrating, Mish, is the mental health argument used by these people. Because it is a worthy one. It is such a worthy conversation to have in the middle of a pandemic, what potentially an epidemic of mental health will look like off the back of it. But I worry desperately that it is being co-opted by wealthy people who want to just get out of lockdown for their own sake. I think, as we say, if they really do want to make a push for mental health and raise awareness for mental health, then transparency over donations, particularly with these T-shirts, is key. I think it's the least anybody can do. Yeah, well, it's like this is your plan platform what are you doing with it what kind of messages are you putting out about poor people compared to yourself are you hiding behind a mental health argument when potentially you have been voting in conservative governments who again and again have slashed mental health funding like make it add up I need it to add up to get on board with your message and I'll be clear again I am on board with you if you want to wear a free Melbourne t-shirt and you're really upset about how this lockdown has affected you financially you have every right to do that but if you're Beck Judd sitting in your mansion in Brighton, working from home, still doing your influencer jobs and your ambassador jobs. I need you personally. I need you to own up to what you've said in the past. I need it to match up. And if you do care about mental health, is this the way to do it? Like, can you find another way to support the people struggling right now? You have 800,000 followers. Could you galvanize them in a way where it's transparent, what you're raising for charity, when we can actually put a dollar figure next to it? Does it have to be a $40 t-shirt with zero transparency that seems to just be a message for conservative governments? This is not an argument, Mish, about where Victoria should be right now. I think should be clear. Like it's not about whether we should be in lockdown or whether we should be given a firmer roadmap. I think it's all about the wealthiest Victorians pretending to have the best interests of the state at heart when in reality their actions and their words have consistently proved this is not the case. And I think you you hit it on the head when you said before, make it add up. Mm. Where to from here? Like what could Beck Judd do this week to redeem herself in your eyes? Because for me, I'd have to see her address those June comments. Like I need her to make them make sense to her followers. I would also need whoever is running Free Melbourne, if it is Nick and Rachel Holland, to be transparent about how much money they're donating. Then I'll have a bit of time and I'll have a bit of patience for this movement. Until then, I don't get it. 
I don't either. And I think that is all we have time for. Thank you so much. As always, if you got to the end of the episode after Michelle went on her football rant. (laughs) As always, if you want to support the show, we would absolutely love it if you just hit that big green button on Spotify that says follow. Please do. If you have already done that, please follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We post memes, mostly me, Zara, because I have you held in a Instagram meme dungeon most of the week, (laughs) every single day day what else we're also on tiktok now follow us on tiktok shameless podcast yeah come there too we'll be back in your ears on thursday bye hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.